You're listening to the Queer Yid Podcast, where we share the stories of LGBTQ Jews from religious backgrounds. My name is Hannah Peterson, and today we're flipping the script. I'm joined by a dear friend and a fantastic ally to the LGBTQ community, Yehuda Miller, aka Goose. In this week's episode, Goose helps me chart the tale of my own journey into orthodoxy as a young teen through the ups and downs of learning to embrace my queer identity all the way up until today, when my partner and I launched the Queer Yid podcast. It has been a true exercise in empathy, having myself in the hot seat, but I hope that you find something meaningful in the story that I have to share. So, without further ado, let's get this show on the road. All right, Goose, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I'm glad I can host you on your own show. Anytime. So, tell me a little bit about your uh, upbringing. I was born and raised in Southern California. Um, I did not grow up in a religious um, Orthodox household. Uh, My mom was, um, and my mom's entire family, they're reform. Um, and my dad and his entire family are Mormon. Um, I was raised as a reformed Jew. Um, I went to like Sunday school, um, also Wednesday school at a certain point, but like the whole, the whole shebang. Um, we do Friday night dinners, Shabbat candles, things like that. But, you know, like we never kept kosher in our house or, um, or like really any concept of Shabbat. Um, and I guess my connection to like Orthodox Judaism, um, begins when I'm 11 years old and I, for like a bunch of a host of complex reasons, I end up, um, going to the Chabad day school near my home. And how did you, how did you find Chabad or get involved? Um, or did they find you? <laughs> so that's a bit of a story. I went to a Chabad day camp at some point when I was like third or fourth grade um, for one summer. And I made some friends there. Um, but I didn't really even realize it was an Orthodox space. Like I was wearing shorts and like a tank top. It was totally, you know, fine. Um the next summer, like I went to the JCC camp, like it didn't really make a difference to me. But um, when I was starting middle school in the sixth grade, we, I'd been in a um, like secular uh, private school. And for middle school, I was being moved into public school and I hated public school, like worst thing that ever happened to me. I would go on like homework strikes where I just wouldn't do my homework. It was the only time in my entire life that I like faked being sick as a kid um, so that I could get out of going to school. And like, I've always been a goody two shoes, always. So my parents were like, mm, all right, we're, we got to deal with this. Um, and through my friends that I had made that one summer in the Chabad camp, um, they were like, okay, there's like this, you know, Chabad day school, it's a private school, small class sizes. And um, they brought me in on a very nice scholarship. And that's how I ended up there. So you got dealt a little bit of Chabad in like a back alley. 
Hey, we got this private school for you. <laughs> Just like that. Um, but I have to say that I actually had a fantastic education um, in, in the Chabad school that I attended, like secular and Judaic. Um, it was a really special place. And I wish that more day schools around the world would be, uh, would be like the Hebrew Academy. Here's hoping. <laughs> so what... What type of Chabad community was this? Because I've lived in like outreach Chabad communities mm -hmm. where like there's three or four Chabad families and then everyone else is just sort of people who go to Chabad. Mm -hmm. And then I've also lived in Pittsburgh where it's four or 500 Chabad families in, like surrounding this yeshiva environment. And they're very different right styles yeah definitely um okay so long beach is like on the one hand they have like an established lubavitch community okay like more than a minion you know of like fully from black hat beard where you know um type folks um however um i geographically just did not live very close to that community. And I sometimes wonder if I had been closer to there, like what my life would have looked like. Instead, um, there was a shul, um, which was totally like outreach, you know, like it's the rabbi's family is religious and like maybe one or two other families in the area, but that's it. Otherwise the majority of the people going to that shul were not religious. Um, my family did not belong to that shul. We didn't go to it, but geographically it's where we were closer to. Um, and so whenever I like tried to get to shul, it was like a three mile walk or something crazy. Like it was not an easy hike, but um, that's where I would go. So I was in this school. The school was very open. Like I'd say more than half of my class was either not religious or certainly not Lubavitch. Um, like at our, at our high school graduation, I am... Um, I was valedictorian um, <laughs> and I remember like I, I had made this speech about like how we were such a diverse group. Now, obviously like 2021, Hannah looking back at that, I'm like, no, 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 we were not diverse at all. We were a bunch of like <laughs> white Jewish girls <laughs> um, <laughs> with like varying, like just slight differences in our Jewish observance, we, but- We were diverse. Some of us had blonde hair and some of us <laughs> had brown hair. Um, but- as far as like Jewish observance goes, we were a pretty diverse group. There was a lot of openness in my school and a lot of just like appreciating people for like who they were and where they were at. Um, and it was really a shock for me when I moved to Crown Heights. I mean, like we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but when I moved to Crown Heights, being in a community that was not just like, you do you super Jew was really strange for me. At this point, had you yet had your first exposure to queerness? Okay, so the answer is yes. Um, I, not only did I grow up in like a very liberal um, home, at least on my mom's side, um, my dad's also a pretty liberal person, like he's great, but I, I don't wanna speak for the wider Peterson clan. Um, Two of my mom's sisters are both uh, gay. Like they have partners um, of the same sex. And 
So I grew up with that. But no one ever bothered to like sit me down and tell me like, hey, your aunts are lesbians. Um, so I remember being like nine years old, maybe eight years old. I was spending the summer with my uncle, my mom's brother um, and his family in New York. And um, we were like out to eat somewhere. And like someone mentioned the fact that like my aunt Jane um, is gay. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> and they were just like yeah who do you think Sarah is and I was like uh yeah I knew that for, yeah no I, I knew that totally <laughs> and so Aunt Jane was like accepted in the family everyone was cool with it by the time I showed up yes absolutely um so maybe this other question I had wanted to ask is uh a little less relevant, mm -hmm. but um, I don't know why, but for some reason, growing up, gay was not all that crazy of a word to say, but like lesbian was like a big deal. You don't yeah. say lesbian, like yeah. that's a bad word and gay is just like gay. When, when and if ever did like lesbian, or did you have the same experience? And is that like, have you gotten comfortable with it as a word? Yeah, I mean, I can't remember anything specific. Like, I can't remember there ever being like a, ooh, lesbian's a weird word. But for me, um, like when I, when I was in the process of trying to figure out what was going on with me and my sexual orientation, um, like lesbian was always like this gross word. So if I was like feeling shameful or like negative about myself, it would be like, oh, Hannah, are you a lesbian? Like, are you a les? Like, that's weird. Um, and then conversely, like when I started to feel comfortable and and many years later, when I started to um, come out, I was always using the word gay. Um, and now I think I've gotten to a place where I'm okay with the word lesbian. Um, I trying even to like reclaim it a little bit um, just because I think that the reason, like, I think you're right. There was a, there is a thing about like the word lesbian just sounding like it has a different connotation. And I think, I don't know if this it's is true. Three syllables. Yeah. But I also think that it has to do with the fact that like lesbian, like lesbians and like pornography kind of are much more closely yeah. connected. Um, I hear that. And so I wonder if maybe that has to do with it. It's like gay is describing a person's sexual orientation, but like lesbian, you're automatically talking about lesbian sex. I don't know. Um, Seems like there's some stuff to unpack there in a different conversation. <laughs> so you go through high school. Yeah. At any point at a long your journey through high school, like entering adulthood, mm -hmm. were you like feeling like there's something queer going on? Did you have what I had where I just like sexuality and other people was just not on my radar yeah. um, and like didn't even really think about it? So what was your... It's a good question. I think it, it ties into 
it ties very strongly into like my um, journey into orthodoxy. Um, so I think I'm gonna talk about the two, I guess, sort of interwoven. Um, I get to this Chabad school when I'm in the sixth grade and like for a host of reasons that I am probably gonna spend like the next, I don't know, 40 years, like still trying to unpack. Um, I really, really um, identify with like orthodoxy and I, I dive in, okay? Like I dive in stupidly. All right. Like I'm like 13 years old and I'm like, I'm not listening to non-Jewish music no more. And like, I am going to go vegetarian at home without telling anyone so that I don't have to eat non-kosher meat. Like I just, I started keeping Shabbat one weekend without telling a soul. And like, it took months for my parents to figure it out. And then it was drama. Like I just, there's something inside me that compelled me to like head down that path. Um, even before I had really spoken to like teachers or mentors or my classmates about it. Um, so there's this like very young version of me that is like sitting on Chabad.org until three in the morning, like researching things and being like, this is how I need to live my life. Um, and at the same time, like that's the age, um, for many people and certainly for me as well. Um, where like sexuality starts to become a thing. Um, like I remember I was in the, there, there are a few things that happened um, all kind of relatively close to one another that like they're the first time that I really started to feel uncomfortable or ask myself questions. Um, the first one is I remember being in like the sixth grade and it was like someone's bought mitzvah party or whatever and um, we were having like a sleepover at someone's house. There were like a bunch of us sitting there like in sleeping bags at night. And as is kind of a thing, one of my classmates goes like, all right, guys, you know what we're doing now? We're going to go in a circle and everybody's going to say who she has crush on. Um, and like, they go, they go. And like some kind of people are just talking about guys on TV and then like, oh, this guy who worked in like the summer camp. And like, I'm just sitting there being like, oh my God, like, I don't know what to say. I know guys. I have guy friends from, you know, before I came to this school um, and from like the reform uh, Hebrew school that I'm in. But like, I just, I had no idea how someone would determine who they had a crush on. Like, what does that even mean? So I like threw out some random guy's name um, and fine. But like that feeling of like, there's this thing that everyone else is getting and I am just not um, freaked me out like deeply. Um, and at around the same time, there was like a, like a teen Nick show um, that I don't remember at all, um, but it becomes very quickly apparent like within one or two episodes that it's about this like, you know, teenage girl who Get, has a crush on her best friend and like they end up kissing and like in like the second episode like they kiss or whatever and I immediately I just turned off the tv and I was like I cannot watch this um so there was clearly something like threatening there but I just did not want to touch it with a 10-foot pole um and well, let me as, ask you a question yeah your you have two aunts that are openly gay mm-hmm 
lesbian, mm-hmm. as we say. Yeah. Sapphic. And That's also... your family is is super open about it and super accepting. Mm-hmm. How does that translate into it's terrifying to teenage Hana that that might be her? Did you make the connection between like, it's okay for them, but it's totally different for me or like what I'm feeling isn't at all what they are? Yeah, I don't know, Goose. Like that's the million dollar question. I have no idea. Um, I think it's tempting to sort of wrap it up in this nice bow and say like, oh yes, well, I was becoming religious at the same time, but no, I have no idea. There was just something in there that was like, this is shameful and I don't want it. Um, Even though at the same time, um, like I loved my aunts, I loved their partners. I never had problems with gay people. And in fact, like I was even defending gay people at the same time that I was very much like, but not me, you know? Um, Did you ever talk to them about it, about feelings you had had or like, did they factor in at all in your journey? I didn't talk to a soul. Um, And again, I don't know why, like I grew up in a home that was pretty open like there were multiple occasions that my parents tried to sit me down and like, you know, have these conversations with me and like leave an opening for it. And I just was completely like not interested. Um, Do you think they knew? Okay, so spoilers, we're gonna get there, but yeah, 100% they knew. Um, I had no idea, like until I, until I came out to my dad, I had absolutely no clue, but yeah, my parents had been discussing this for years and it's part of the reason that they had such a, that they struggled so much with me becoming Orthodox. Um, Cause they knew you'd be in for a hard road. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, but we will get there. Um, All right. So where do we go next? Yeah, so at the same time that like this is starting to happen and I'm like, this is very threatening. I don't want to deal with it. Um, Religion is becoming a bigger and more significant part of my life. And like the fact that I'm not interested in guys is like totally working to my favor. Like very easy for me to not be this like rebellious girl. It's like, it's very easy for me to posture and be like, yes, I don't talk to boys or I'm not friends with boys. Um, and like, I dive hard into that. Um, um, yeah, it's definitely encouraged to uh, not be interested in the opposite sex when you are growing up in the Chabad world. Until you get married and then... And then like, one, yes, but only like, your wife. Oh, yeah. Just <laughs> please make a 180-degree turn right now. Yeah. So on the one hand, I was this, like, saint who didn't want to talk to guys and was fine with putting up those boundaries. Um, and at the same time, I kept on finding myself in these, like, really weirdly intense relationships with, with, with older people um like counselors whatever yeah kind of 
Yes, kind of. But I mean, not no, romantic relationships. No, non-romantic. But looking back on them, it's so patently clear for me to see that I had a crush on whoever it was. And, and that's what I was experiencing, but I didn't have language for it. And so I was just really, I was aware that like, it was weird. And so I just tried not to talk about it. Um, you'll see there's a theme that kind of develops of me being aware that something is weird. And so me just never saying a word about it until I'm absolutely forced to. Um, and there usually being consequences for that. So how does someone who avoids talking about things end up hosting a podcast? <laughs> or maybe we should ask that later on. <laughs> well, I'll tell you about the first time that I, I started to talk about things and there were consequences. Um, I was going through all of this, sort of navigating the religious stuff at the same time, trying to stay really far away from like the sexual orientation questions. And I found myself in another one of these, not relationships, but just this like really intense, confusing feelings that I, I'd had. Um, and I knew that I needed to talk to someone about it. Um, it, was, it was really starting to heat me up inside. So I didn't want to talk to my family. Um, because they were struggling with me being religious and I was kind of afraid that they would be like, oh, Hannah, well, you're a lesbian, so give up on the whole religion thing and just live your truth. Um, but on the other hand, I really did not have an environment around me in school where I could talk to my friends about it um, because to their credit nowadays, like my classmates are all amazing, excellent, awesome, loving people um, who have embraced me, however, back then, you know, it was a different time and we were also kids and stupid. And like, I heard the way that people talked about gays, the gays. Um, yeah. And so I was like, this is not a place that I can really discuss this. And by then I had done, you know, my Chabad.org Googling and like, I knew the line, which was at the time, the Torah declaration was still out. Jonah um, was still a thing the line was like being gay is a mental illness and like there's help for it. Mm -hmm. um, so with all of that kind of going on in my mind, I went to my um, mashbia, uh, like a counselor of mine in high school. And I waited until the summer, Dafka. I didn't think she was coming back the next year either. So I was like, this is great. I'll have this conversation with her. And if it's no bueno, like I don't need to see her ever again. Um, this was what grade? 10th grade, I was 15. Between what grades? Yeah, I was in between, I guess between ninth and 10th or maybe between 10th and 11th. I don't know, it was one of those two. Cause I'd already had like, I think it was between 10th and 11th. Yeah, cause I had already like, built up a relationship with this person and I felt comfortable enough uh, going to her. And I remember the phone call where I was just like, I think I might be, maybe. And then like silence, like I could not get the word out. Um, and eventually I, I, I finally was like, I think maybe I'm 
a lesbian. Um, wow, that's really brave. Well, that was not the bravest thing that I did in that conversation, let me tell you, because the next thing, so she, her response was sort of like, I don't understand. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> um, and like, listen, in her defense, if I was 15, she was like 18 at the time. Like, she was I a kid how, how too. Schools um, work. <laughs> yeah. Um, and wow. I had just like thrown this piece of information on her and I, and I kind of had to go through this conversation of like, gay, but for women, like women, women can be gay. And, you know what I mean? And, and it was- Oh, you mean like, what does that mean in terms of she didn't even know what the concept was? I mean, yeah, I don't wanna, yeah, yeah. That was wow. certainly how it felt to me, at least. I Like looking back on it, I'm kind of question that, like surely she, Surely she did know what the concept was. Maybe she didn't understand how it applied to me as a woman. I, I have no idea. Um, Maybe she wanted to know what you meant by it or to see how much you knew of. I don't know. But uh, she asked me, so we had this conversation um, and I'm just like dying inside. Um, and she's asking me a bunch of questions about like why I think that, what I'm experiencing. Um, and at the end of the conversation, she's like, okay, listen, it doesn't sound, it doesn't really sound like you're, it doesn't sound like you're a lesbian. Like, it just sounds like you're a teenager, you know, with like your own like stuff and issues. And so, you know, don't drive yourself crazy over it. Like, you don't need to get help or anything. Just don't think about it and go deal with your other teenage stuff. Um, and that was a major relief for me, huge. Um, so on the one hand, um, I think for where I was at the time, that statement of like, you're not a lesbian, you don't need to worry about it, really actually did a lot for me. Like it, it calmed me down, it allowed me to get on with my life and to deal with the actual, like, I did have stuff to deal with as a teenager, you know, um, lots of individuation issues and, you know, yeah. um, and, and I can't imagine if I had had the additional pressure of knowing that I was, I was gay on top of that, like, I don't think it would have been great for me. But on the other hand, um, I now had somebody that I looked at and trusted, um, and viewed as, you know, someone wiser than me and an authority figure who was saying, you're not gay. So I could hold on to that. And it allowed me to really, really just repress any thoughts about being gay from that point onwards. Um, and they didn't surface again until um, after I was done with seminary, which, yeah. So you finished high school yeah. and what's next? Um, I finished high school and I um, moved to Crown Heights to go to seminary. Um, seminary Probably was, a bit of a culture shock, huh? Yes, in a lot of ways. Um, living in New York was difficult for me. Living on my own, I mean, on my own, 
I was living in a dorm, but you know, I guess being fully responsible for myself for the first time was a major shock. Um, but Crown Heights, my time there was so, so meaningful and like so important for me as a person. It was the first time that I got to live in a religious community. Um, and like, I was really embraced by that community and, um, appreciated as opposed to sort of having to fight for being religious all the time. Um, I was in a seminary environment, so I got to like learn all the things that I was dying to learn from, you know, people and teachers who were incredible. And I was happy, like I was living certainly a version of my best life. You know, I was, I was involved in Benos Chabad. I was working in the high school. I ran base Rifka production, like, um, I was doing my thing. Um, so it became really obvious to me that as soon as I finished seminary, I was going to stay in Crown Heights and um, start a Shidduchim and get married, open a Chabad house. That was going to be my life. Um, and I should also say that when I came to Crown Heights, um, I also took on, I think I went from being already pretty like machmir, I guess, to like really diving in, like no non-Jewish literature, which had been really difficult for me because I loved reading. Um, no TVs, no, I had given up non-Jewish music a long time ago. Like I made my world a lot smaller um, and I was getting a lot of, of appreciation for that. Like I was... I, I I was surrounded by people who were telling me I was doing something right and that I was doing, and that I was a role model. Um, so yeah, on the one hand, like did a lot for my self-esteem, um, but, but it also came, I guess, with the, at, at the cost of me being able to compare my experience and like the little bubble that I was living in to other things outside of that and to start to question if what I was thinking and feeling was healthy or, or good for me or if there was another way of looking at the world. So around seminary time, I assume you started having friends dropping like flies into the marriage phase of their lives oh yes <laughs> yeah yeah from the time i was and in addition onwards. to our short people so in addition to um you know i'm sure comments being made and pressure being put on yourself by yourself and and by society how how did you feel, um, you know, everyone's, everyone's starting to be in Shaduchim and get married and you have this knowledge of yourself that that's 
probably not the same future, I guess. I mean, at that but, point, no, I was, I was, I had really completely repressed the whole question of whether or not I was a lesbian. Like I, I thought I would have no problem getting married. Um, occasionally, so did you, occasionally like, there would be this into like, the them world? um, so the answer is yes, though kind of slowly, like certainly more slowly than the rest of my peers. Um, I only really seriously um, dated one, one guy. Um, and that experience um, really significantly, I think, contributed to me having to look at my sexual orientation again. I, I had a really hard time figuring out, like, if I should progress with that relationship or not, um, and why. Like, it kind of threw me back to being, like, 12-year-old Hana, who is, like, sitting there in that circle being, like, you know, how do you know if you have a crush on a guy? Like, how do I know if I like him enough to marry him? Um, and at the same time that I was dating this guy, I would come home and and I had a friend who, I mean, in retrospect, I was completely in love with her. And I think it was even pretty obvious to other people around us. Um, but I had really walled that part of me off. So like I would go on these dates and then I would come back and spend three hours on the phone with her, you know? Um, and there was something about like the juxtaposition of the two that really shook me in like a pretty deep way. Um, mm -hmm. But it wasn't until actually, like even then, even then, like I was, I was shooketh as the youths say, um, but I wasn't able to ask myself the question yet of well, maybe, you know, guys are not your thing. Um, it was only after that friend ended up getting engaged herself um, that I realized I needed to have like a serious look at myself um, because she, she got engaged and I just lost it. Like I just fell to pieces. I was having panic attacks all the time. I had to move out of the apartment for a bit. Like I just, I needed space. Um, and, and I actually, um, I was like 21, I think at the time, maybe just about to be 22 or something. And um, I had never been to Israel before and Birthright had a winter trip coming up and I needed out, like I just needed space. So I came to Israel on a birthright trip. Um, and while I was here, there was something about the jet lag or, or maybe just being in a different environment. Um, I remember like I wasn't able to sleep for like the whole night, one night and I was just like standing there tossing and turning in my bed and I was just like, like the light was starting to like seep in through the windows. And I was like, okay, Hana, maybe you're gay. 
not a lesbian. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it was just such a relief. Like I was almost like giddy with joy um, because everything, everything in my life that I was so stressed out about that didn't make sense just fell into place. Um, and I get that this isn't sort of like, it's easy to say like hindsight is twenty twenty, but I even remember like that same morning just being like, oh my God. And do you remember when you were four years old and you would play house and you would just be like, there are two mommies. And like, I was just 100% sold on that. Like, I didn't even think about it. Um, now listen, kids play a lot of different things. So like, again, it's hindsight, but it just, everything clicked and I was like oh my yeah no that's exactly and like all of those weird crazy intense relationships that you had that you were like crying over and da 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 when they didn't want to spend the summer in the same place that like you had a crush like that's a normal thing for people to experience and also you saw all of your friends experience heartbreak like you know exactly what this is like you just need some ice cream and maybe a little bit of alcohol and time and things will be okay. So this realization on your birthright trip mm -hmm. and had, had like, cause obviously as we've discussed, as you've discussed, you live here in Israel now. Yeah. Was making Aliyah a, an idea before you went on birthright? Was it something that happened on birthright? Um, yeah, None no, it was not an idea before I went on birthright. I came to Israel and I like fell in love with this country. And I think a big part of that was the fact that I also managed to like find a seriously significant part of myself here. And I even had a whole cliche like I, I'm almost embarrassed telling this story because it is so not me. But the first time I went to the Kotel, um, it was like Friday night. And, you know, Birthright does this whole thing to like make it into a whole event. Um, first time you go to the Kotel. And so I went and I had this. The song this, about that, isn't there? Yeah. Western Wall on Friday night. It's first time. Yeah. <laughs> I get in enough trouble for this podcast. I can't add Koalisha to it. Sorry. <laughs> well, I thought you were going to say demonetization for, uh, <laughs> for song royalties. <laughs> but um, I, I had this realization and I was like really feeling okay with myself, but obviously I knew that like religiously this was going to be problematic. And the first time I go to the hotel, I remember standing there and it was amazing because it was Friday night. So nobody had their phones or their cameras with them. Like it was just like me and the Eberster, you know, and I was standing there. Wow, that's a word I haven't heard in a while. I was standing there and I was davening and it was like Shimona Esra. And I was just like, like, Hashem, like, do I have a place in your world. And like, I, I'm not a spiritual person. I don't, this is not a thing that happens to me. Looking back on it, I can even be very skeptical, skeptical of this experience, but certainly at the time I felt 
just this resounding like yes of course you do and like I was crying like it was it was every kind of cliche um so so this happens and I am coming back to Crown Heights like a transformed person um I know this thing and you're how old at this time 21 maybe 22 I think 21 um come back to Crown Heights and I am just totally transformed um but I also realized that like this is going to be a problem for me because all that I had planned to do I had stopped reading non-Jewish books I had stopped doing all these things I had given up on my college aspirations because I wanted to be the best possible shlucha that I could be I wanted to be the most religious the the most connected to God that I could be and so I didn't know what that was going to look like as someone who is gay um and even though I'd had this sort of like spiritual affirmation where I was like no this is cool like God's cool with me um like practically like how am I supposed to live my life I was still teaching in the high school or not teaching I was a I was a counselor or madri ha. I was running after school programs in the high school I was like this is not a job that a gay person can do um so I decided I needed to talk to someone again. And this time, um, I really did not want somebody who was gonna be like Maykill on me. Like I didn't want someone who was gonna be like, oh, it's okay, just whatever. So I like purposefully sought out the strictest opinion that I could think of, um, which was my seminary principal. Um, and and I sort of maintained a relationship with her. Um, I was close with different members of her family. Um, and like, she kind of knew what was going on with me to a certain extent. Cause like, she was aware that I was going through a really hard time before I went to Israel and she had been really great to me. So I was like, I need to talk to you. And I sat down and I told her that I did not think I could get married to a man um, and her response was right away one of, I love you, I'm here for you. Um, thank you for sharing this with me and I don't know how to deal with this but you're not gonna have to go through this alone. Wow. Yeah, I, I later found out Did that you I was, expect that? no, not even a little bit. I felt like I was walking to her house and it was like Yom Kippur, genuinely. I had no idea what was going to happen. Wow. Um, and especially not from her. I mean, I love her genuinely until this day. Like I, I, until COVID happened, like I was by her for Pesach every year. Yael and I have been by her for like Chagim, like she's incredible. Um, but if you ask her, she's the squarest square to ever square. So like, I have no idea where this came from. Um, other than like, I don't know, God was doing me a solid by, by putting me in front of the right person. Um, because this could have gone very differently. <laughs> Um, if I had wound up in front what of someone else. What were you else. hoping to get from that conversation if that's not what you were expecting? Were you hoping she'd like smack you down and then you would 
be straight? No, I, I don't know what I was expecting. I, I think part of me was expecting a voice to come and say like, you need to leave. Like you need to leave Chabad. Mm. You need to leave Crown Heights. Like you need to leave this life if this is what you're going to do. Because at that point, the world had changed um, a bit from when I was 15. I knew what conversion therapy was. I knew that like that was not cool and not a good idea and not something I was ever going to do. So I was kind of in a bind where I was like, this is something about myself that I know to be true. I had this spiritual experience where I was like, I feel like God is okay with it, but from life is not built for this. So like, what am I supposed to do? And, and I was kind of expecting the answer to be like, you need to leave. And, and as somebody who had fought for so many years to, to be from like that was terrifying. So to have this voice saying like, no, you're still you, you're still, you're still this person who is like excellent and, and that we appreciate and has so much to give and to offer. Um, and it's okay that this is who you are. We just need to figure out a way to make it work was life-changing for me. Um, I have to say, there's a lot of stuff that Chabad does that I don't appreciate anymore, having grown up in that environment and not really living in it anymore. But I think one thing they absolutely do right is say like, let's incrementally add one thing you know, do one more mitzvah and we're going to focus on the mitzvahs you can take on, not all the ones you're not doing yeah. or all the averas you're doing. And um, I think less so in the, I'm already from part of Chabad community, mm -hmm. but a lot more so in the, in the Kiruv side of Chabad. Yeah. Like that's the message I grew up with, you know, yeah, and Just I think I think that's on the one more thing that you can do. Listen, I think that that's the message that she she lives. Like, meaning, she is a square square that ever did square. But but part of like her squareness is that she really tries to live the Rebbe's teachings, including obviously Israel. Um, so so that meant the world to me, um, and. The kind, like, I think there's a difference between um, that sort of like emotional and like that emotional affirmation that I so needed and was so necessary. And then there's the practical side of things, which did not go as smoothly, I have to say. And I'm like, we'll get into that, I'm sure, in a minute. But um, just the ability to know that I had somebody who was super from and still valued me. Um, I think that's what put me in a place to be able to deal with everything else that came up in a way that was not going to completely destroy me. Um, because the experience of being queer and Lubavitch at least, um, like it's devastating um, it, it, from A to Z. It, it puts you in a position where 
your view of the Rebbe, like the, the way that I, I viewed the Rebbe at the time was as the Nasi Dorenu, like the Rebbe had vision that we did not have. And the Rebbe's guidance um, was revelatory. Um, like there was something about it that it was transcendent. And, and so therefore we followed what the Rebbe had to say. Um, and what the Rebbe had to say about queer people, um, I, I almost don't want to talk about it because if somebody hasn't been exposed to it yet, like I, I almost don't want them to. I was, I was just about to ask because I have, no idea if he ever spoke to it and um i mean i guess i guess it's part of my story but i i just okay if you're listening to this and this is the first time you come across the rebbe's teachings like please don't don't read it in a vacuum find someone that you trust and who is who is who loves you and cares about you and cares about your mental health and like just contextualize it with them because otherwise it is really tough to swallow. Um, the Rebbe has a few letters to queer people. Um, and again, this is the Rebbe Shita. He is so loving and he wants to make, you know, make, make, make the pie bigger, you know, like bring as many people as possible in. Um, however, at the same time, um, the Rebbe gave a sicha um, in the 80s. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's uh, it's important to point out for those of you who aren't familiar, he was like every person's greatest ally. Like you could be black, white, short, tall, man, woman, anything in between. And if you see, if you walk past him in dollars, he looks at you the same way, every yeah. single person. Um, and by the way, there's a, an LGBTQ Chabad group, uh, secret one on Facebook. Um, if you fit that description, uh, feel free to reach out and, and we'll see if we can get you connected. But um, like people in that group have stories with the Rebbe where, where he is so loving and um, so understanding. But I, I guess in that context, in the context of it being the 80s, um, the AIDS pandemic is just starting to be a thing. Um, there was some sort of like legal statute that New York City was trying to change and the Rebbe addressed it in a sicha. Um, and the Rebbe's view was that we need to love gay people, but they're mentally ill. And the more they protest and say they're not mentally ill, the more we urgently need to help them because they're very mentally ill. Um, Which falls in line with common thinking at the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, Not I don't know. Not excusing him or anyone at the time, but. Yeah. Um, and. I just had this weird thought that I just said, not excusing like the Rebbe's behavior. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like such a rebel. Like, who am I to 
No, but here's the thing. Like, I think that for anybody who's inside Lubavitch and who's inside that system and who has been touched by the Rebbe's influence, this, this space, like, it shook my faith deeply, like, to the core. Um, because I, my view of the Rebbe, I really thought was a natural outcome of my understanding of Chabad Chassidus, which is the deepest understanding of the Torah, which like, it gets tied into a lot there. So to say like, I cannot accept the Rebbe's opinion on something is really difficult. And I had a lot of difficult conversations about this with, with my same seminary principal. Um, she, um, she was incredible. She put me in touch with different like leaders in the community um, to talk about this. Um, she talked to Rabbanim um, on my behalf. And at the end of this whole, it was probably like a two or three month period of sort of the question of like, well, what do we do with this? the conclusion that I came to um, through the advice of the people around me and through understanding what was and wasn't acceptable, like by asking different rebuttal through my principal, was that I was not going to continue dating men because that wouldn't be fair, like not to them, not to me, not to anyone. Um, however, I was also definitely never gonna date women because that's not allowed. And more than that, I'm not even gonna come out. Like I, I need to keep this a secret um, and to live a celibate life. That is gonna be like my shlichus. Um, and the truth is that like I, at that point, I was again, like 22 years old maybe, I accepted that with such love and such joy because it was a way forward. It was a way for me to continue doing what I had fought so long to do and being who I wanted to be without having to compromise on this, this part of me that I knew was authentic. Um, now there were practical things associated with that, like the question of whether or not I should continue teaching in the high school. Um, no. <laughs> And, and if not, like, what am I going to do with my life? So even though college was something that is like really looked down upon, um, especially for single women with the knowledge that I'm never going to get married anyway. So, and I'm probably not a great idea for me to be in Chinuch. Like, okay, I, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to find a career that can be my entire life instead. Um, so I applied to university in Israel and I was like, this is great. I'm going to run away. I'm going to go to the place where I had all of this like intense spiritual stuff. Um, and I'm going to go to university there. And that's exactly what I do. So would you say that when you made Aliyah, were you going to Israel or leaving Crown Heights? I was 100% leaving Crown Heights. I was running away. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. I, um, 
the pressure of being in the closet there was just too much for me. People were asking me about Shaduchim and I felt like I had to lie all the time. And I hated lying. Um, I did it's actually come out to, to I, I came out to a few of my friends there because I felt that I needed to, you know, for my mental health. Like that was kind of the line. Like anything that you need to do for your mental health, like, okay. But certainly, you know, don't make a big deal out of it. Um, because the, just the lying and the hiding was too much for me. So I came out to a few of my friends, um, to their credit, they were all fantastic. Um, but I couldn't do it anymore. So I was like, great, I'm going to go to a place where I can completely reinvent myself in such a way that no one ever needs to ask me about my sexual orientation. And that's what I did. Um, I show up in Israel at Bar Ilan University. Um, that was a culture shock. Um, How so? I mean, maybe I also can... left my Chabad community to go live in Givach well. So yeah. Okay. So maybe <laughs> I have you can. A bit of an idea. Maybe you can relate to this, but like, I came to Israel with this like really arrogant attitude of kind of like, I am like we're living like the panemius of the Torah. Like this is like the MS, like they're like Shivan Panim Latara, but like, we've got like the stuff. Okay. Um, and I rock up in like modern Orthodox Anglo Givat Shmuel and all these modern Orthodox Anglo people can like run circles around me when it comes to Halacha. Yeah. They know so much more than I do. And they're asking me questions and I'm like, because the Rebbe said so. And they're like, okay, but why? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I I didn't. What's the source for that? Yeah. Or like, like it takes a big rub to be Makil, you know, like that whole concept of like Machmer and Makil and like, what does that mean? And I, boom, it blew my mind because I kind of grew up in this American Judaism where it was like, you are more religious or less religious, right? And more religious means more Haredi and less religious means less Haredi. And like, that's it. There's no like seriously, deeply committed religious people who are actively choosing from a place of their commitment to religion to be less Mahmer. Like that's just- Let's be honest. A little bit of it is like more religious, less fun, less religious, <laughs> more fun. <laughs> Maybe. And like, I, I totally identify with what you're saying. Cause like, I came to give much more and like all these people in my circle are like, we are very religious and have lots of fun <laughs> and are like happily living this, this life that I was like, um, willingly living it. And they're like happily living it. Okay, so you come to Givat Shmuel. Yeah. And you start studying. Yeah. You ran away from Crown Heights, but I know that you, as far as I know, you still work for a company in Crown Heights. Yeah, yeah, I still do, actually. Um, so you maintain that relationship. Yes. 
Um, but again, I think it was easier because I didn't have to physically be there. Um, so, so what happens in Givachmuel in the, how many years has it been now? Five years. I've officially been in Israel longer than I lived in Crown Heights. How crazy is that? Wow. Yeah. So what has happened in the last five years to go from, I'm never going to get married and I'm just going to live this celibate life forever. And I'm going to go to Israel and redefine myself to out and living with your fiance. Wow. That's a question. Who I love too. That is a question. I, I think. We can break it into parts if you need to. Um, so yeah, my first year in Israel was really big for me, um, in that I sort of come to Israel with a lot of these, like, theological kind of questions and concerns that I mentioned briefly as far as understanding that I had this real issue with the Rebbe's opinion on something that was really relevant to my life and, like, what that meant for the rest of me, um, and also feeling like I couldn't fit into the Lubavitch system, so not really knowing what that looks like. I come to Israel and I meet this modern Orthodox world that um, disarms me and and impresses me. Um, and I meet really awesome people, like just great, great people who share my interests and um, who even before, like I'm not talking about queer stuff, but they are. They're talking about like, how important it is to be a good ally and 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 um, how to make queer people feel welcome in the religious world. And I'm watching this happen around me. And so I, I sort of start to ask these questions of like, what does a queer Hana in the more modern Orthodox world look like? Um, and I actually- How long did it take you to believe that, that what they were saying would come into like, would apply to you if you came out? Um, I mean, it was pretty, because it was so unsolicited, like I, I had no reason to think that that wouldn't be the case. Um, and in fact, I actually had people here who had queer friends. Um, so it, it wasn't difficult for me to believe. It was more of me just trying to figure out this balance between like, is their, is their opinion really legitimate? Um, so at the end of like the first year that I'm in Israel, um, I actually came out to someone, um, maybe even two people here. Um, the timeline's a little bit hazy for me because, um, well, you'll see in a minute, but I, I certainly came out to at least one of my friends here and like, they were amazing and fantastic. And I was just like, okay, you know, this this can be a thing. Um, but shortly after that happened, um, my mom got sick. Um, she was diagnosed with cancer and she passed away. Like for the time she got sick till she passed away, it was three months. It, it was fast. Um, and thankfully I had the opportunity to be home for all of that. Um, and and during that period of time, I actually came out to one of my aunts um, who was also like incredibly loving and supportive, but you know, like 
I don't want to go into um, the details because anybody who's experienced a loss like knows what that does and how it completely turns everything upside down. And um, I would like to say that like the shift, like that major shift between like Hannah who showed up in Israel and was like, I'm going to be alone forever and in the closet. And that is going to be how I serve God the best way possible to where I am now. I wish it had been able to come from a place of like introspection and growth. It didn't. It came from a place of like, I got knocked off my feet. And, and when I was in that really dark spot, I got to look at a lot of things from a different perspective. Um, so for instance, after my mom passed away, um, like my community, my Lubavitch community was so incredible. They took care of me in, in so many ways, emotionally, physically. Um, in fact, the last like chunk of the Shiva, they flew me to New York so that I could be with my friends until then I was sitting in California. And like, once my aunts left, I, I was sitting alone in California. Like it was not a pleasant experience. Oh. They flew me to New York so that I could sit at Shiva there. And, um, and on the one hand, like I needed that so badly then. But at the same time, like, I would just lie in bed at night and I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that like, if they knew who I was, they wouldn't have done that for me. Or, and, and so even while I was being embraced by this community that I loved so much, at the same time, I felt so totally isolated. Um, and I was like, like I knew that like that is, that is a deep problem. Like that is not something that is sustainable because Losing a parent is tragic, genuinely, but like Halavai, it's the most tragic thing that will ever happen to us in our lives. You know, like God willing, you know, grandparents and then parents, and like, you know, that's, that's what happens. People get older and they die. Like just the realization of like, okay, the thing that I rely on to be there for me, I can't trust while I feel like I'm lying to them was very scary. Um, and the second thing is that... Um, like at this point, my grandmother had passed away. Uh, my mother had passed away. It was just my dad and I, and I was living in Israel. And the whole question of like family and what it means to have a family um, came up in a really like very acute way. Um, and you know, my dad, he ended up moving back to Idaho to be around um, my siblings and his siblings to be embraced by family. And I was just thinking like, that is the way the world should be. Like we're meant to have families. And like, do I really think that I'm not supposed to have families? Like, I, like I know that question, that that question- extremely lonely. To be like lonely. in your early twenties and be thinking of life of not solitude, but not companionship. Well, I mean, I think only someone who's young can actually do that. Like you talk to even to rabbis, like people who are older, 
they all kind of universally acknowledge that asking for solitude and celibacy is like a little bit cruel and just not there because once you're older all this like bravado of your youth where it's like I am going to be like the person who saves the world and brings Mashiach like that starts to kind of go away when you realize that like life is messy and complicated and at the end of the day like we're all just trying to hold on um yeah it's interesting what what you said about the what your friends have have done that for you if they knew yeah. my guess is probably still yes but like i don't know your personal friends yeah. but the biggest problem i had when i was going through my like religious crisis at who am i what level of religious practice am i comfortable with was trying to figure out what 13 year old me would say about current day me and like would i have been how judgmental of me would I have been? Yeah. And it like my struggle wasn't what other people would say. It was what would I have said? And would I be proud of the 13-year-old version of me having that interaction? How did you deal with that? Still working on it. <laughs> <laughs> if you come up with anything good, let me know. Um, so at the beginning, you said your parents totally knew that you were not straight. Yeah. So, um, so I go through this really traumatic loss and, and all of the questions that it brings up about sort of my trajectory for life. And I come back to Israel to continue my studies. Um, and I see an advertisement for a Shoval event in Givat Shmuel. Shoval is an organization that promotes dialogue and tolerance towards LGBT people in the religious world. Um, I now volunteer for them. Um, the Shoval format is kind of what inspired the podcast, actually. Um, but essentially what they do is they have queer people from religious backgrounds go back to those religious spaces and just tell their stories and, and engage in a open, no agendas, no whatever conversation about like how, how, how to be, how to make it work. Um, so, you know, the, the one or two people that I'm out to in Givat Shmuel, um, they tell me about the event, they go with me, little scared Hana, um, and, and that was game changer for me because I, I, I knew that like, you know, my, my little friends who had been talking about being allies existed, but like to see the whole community pretty much turn up, even if they didn't agree with everything that was being said, even if they were there because they had serious questions or whatever, just the fact that they cared enough and that they thought it was legitimate enough to show up 
floored me. Um, and it was the first time that I heard people talk about their experiences that were so much like mine. Um, like one of the volunteers, she was talking about her first crush and I was just like, oh my gosh, I wasn't the only one who felt this. Um, and so that sort of begins, I guess, this chapter of my life. One of me exploring the queer and religious world, how I can try and make those two identities work, what that means for me. Um, that Choval volunteer, she put me in touch with um, Botkol, which is the organization for um, religious queer women in Israel. And um, through Botkol, I met a lot of other really inspiring and interesting people. And I saw families that were religious and still involved and it just, it blew my mind. And I got to take part in conversations with people like me about the big questions, you know, like, how do you deal with the dissonance? What does it mean to be in a relationship? Are you going to be in a relationship? Like, I also want to dispel one of these like myths, which is that every queer person um, who is religious decides to live life the same way. Like we really don't. Um, I hope that this podcast shines a light on that, even though there are certain segments of the population who will not come on this podcast because of the optics or because they've chosen to continue living closeted lives. But like, there's a, a really wide variety of different ways that people live their lives. Um, you mean queer people are the same as regular people? <laughs> what? Who would say such a thing? And so that sort of brings me, I guess, to, to where I am today. And it's a process that I'm still in the middle of, um, trying to figure out how to like live between, between the two identities, between my queer identity and, and my religious identity. Um, you, I don't even remember how long ago it was anymore, mm -hmm. but a few years ago, yeah. a couple of years ago, you and your partner went to live in New York. Yeah. And you did an internship for something along those lines for the UN. That's true. And I remember very, very clearly that you were so worried that your, like every relationship you had at Crown Heights was about to just cease and die. Yeah. Can you talk a bit about how you came out and how like you clearly have those relationships? I didn't seriously start coming out until I, I found myself in a relationship. Um, I think I was on the fence about whether or not coming out was a good idea. But as soon as I was in a relationship with someone else, I realized that it's one thing for me to kind of have to lie about my life. It's another thing to ask someone else to do that for me. Um, and more importantly, like, I don't want to lie about this person that I care so much about. Um, so yeah, Ellen and I met three and a half years ago. 
um, I, I started to come out first to my family. Um, when I called my dad to tell him I was seeing someone, he said, oh, is it a boy or a girl? <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was a shock for me, but um, he's amazing and the best. And while I, I have no doubt that he loves me more than he loves Yael, I think he definitely likes her more than he likes me. Like personality-wise, they're just a much better fit. Um, <laughs> Um, my family has been incredible and so loving. Um, as you mentioned, so I, I, two years ago, we, we ended up living in New York for a little while at my uncle's house. Like they just let us crash there for like almost four months. Um, but I knew that my family was going to be great because as I said, like we're a very gay family. Um, Coming out to the community in Givat Shmuel was also, it had its ups and downs, but I, I never expected it to be horrible because I, I had seen the community turn up at that Shoval event. I, I knew that like, if there was discomfort or whatever, fine, but I wasn't gonna worry about anyone saying something seriously horrible or doing something really, really damaging. Um, if anything, my concern was that someone from here would bring the news back to Crown Heights before I was ready for it to get there. Um, and, and so when I went to New York, I was, it was like my two worlds were colliding. Um, I, I had managed to sort of keep my life separate and on the down low here. Um, and I just have to say that I, I think that is one of the saddest things of this entire saga because I had friends in Crown Heights that I knew were not gonna be okay with it, okay? And I don't want to in any way um, condemn, condemn those people because it is a journey. I went on a journey to try and come to terms with me and how to deal with me and the moment I came out, I put them on that journey as well. And it takes time. And I believe in like people's better angels. So I don't want to issue any condemnations. At the moment, I have relationships in Crown Heights that don't exist anymore. I have many that still do and that are very warm. I have many that still exist and are very complicated, but I do have some relationships that I lost. And I think because I was so aware that that was a possibility, I started to pull away long before I ever came out. I have a friend actually who um, after, after I came out, um, stopped talking to me um, and that's fine. Like I am okay to give her the space that she needs in order to work it out. But I did at some point message her um, because it was unclear, like if she was ignoring me or if she was just busier with the deal. So I did at some point message her and I was just like, hey, if you need space to figure this out, like that is totally legit. Um, but like, if not, like you should just know that like, this is something that I'm a little bit sensitive to right now and anxious about. And like, um, you know, if you want to Better talk to about know it. know that she's definitely kind purposefully of. not talking to you than to wonder, is she or isn't she? Right. I, I don't know. I don't know if it was the right thing to do, but this is the message that I sent her. And what she wrote back was like, 
well, it's not like we've really been close for a few years now anyway, so I don't see why that needs to change now. Mm-hmm. And it just broke me because I was like, we haven't been close for a few years now because I felt like I had to lie to you every time I talked to you. And like, I might accidentally slip up and tell you something real about me. But I still always wanted to be your friend, you know? Like we went back to high school, like for, you know, like summer camps together when we were 15, like, and I was the one who pulled away because I was so afraid of what was gonna happen. So yeah, I mean, like she's right. We haven't been close in a few years, but I wish that we could be. Um, And in a lot of ways since coming out, um, I have had a chance to like really renew a lot of relationships that I had pulled away from. And that's been an incredibly beautiful and affirming thing for me. So good on that. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. I think I went went all over the place here. No, that's okay. Anyways, I guess that brings us to today. yeah. Um, so one of the uh, one of the hosts of this queried podcast usually mm-hmm. asks her uh, mm. her uh, subjects at the end. Mm-hmm. If you could go back and and say something to your teenage self, what would what would you tell them? Um, so here's the thing. I remember teenage Hana and there is nothing that who I am today could say to that version of me that she would accept. Um, I was stubborn and, and I was really sure of myself. So I don't think necessarily that there is anything that I could say that would have helped me. I think I had to go through a lot of the things that I went through in order to get to where I am today, um, to a place of being a little bit less sure of myself and probably still stubborn. Okay, definitely still stubborn, but like certainly less sure of myself. Um, However, I think that if there is something that I could have given her, um, I wish that I could have put somebody in my life when I was 12 or 13 who who would have started this conversation for me who would have said like hey you know there are some people who are of different sexual orientations there are even some people of different gender expressions out in the world and as teenagers you're figuring that out and like that's okay and you've got a safe spot here if you ever want to come talk about it um, I think it would have been meaningful. And I think especially it would have been meaningful coming from somebody who was just as religious as me. So if you are listening to this and you are in a position where, where you can talk to people like you of your age or younger and just put it out there and say like, hey, I am a spot where you can have these conversations. Um, I think it's really a gift to give, so... And That's I'll just that. say, I'll just say, if you aren't going through something like this, but you have someone in your life who is, or you think might be, be, be that person that they can 
turn to. I'm so glad to have you as a friend. Uh, Thanks, Goose. I'm really glad to have you too. And thank you so much for like stepping up and saying, hey, um, I, I want to. I want to hear your story. And I want to make that happen. So yeah. Thanks for taking My the pleasure. initiative. Yeah. We love you, Hannah. Oh, I love you oh. too. That concludes today's episode. I want to take a moment to thank Goose again for the role that he played in making this episode happen, and for so gently and expertly guiding me through the telling of my narrative. I'm lucky to have such wonderful friends in my life, as well as such fantastic allies. If you have a story that you'd like to share, or if there are topics that you would like covered, please reach out to us by visiting QueerYid.com.